Well, that was a really great uh, presentation. I was thinking while she was saying that, that <clears throat> if we ever stop being a mission-oriented church, we'll stop being a church. Amen. So, I mean, that's such a really part of who the Lord has made us as a church is to really have a heart for the nations. And so I'm just thankful, you know, for the people that have really supported, you know, these outreaches and people who've supported going, people who've gone. So all that's such a big part of who River Life really is. And so we've got to keep that going. We can't never stop doing that. If we want to stop being a church, we can stop doing that, and then it'll all be over. Well, y'all are such a beautiful crowd here this morning. Yes, man. So I was thinking about something uh, <clears throat> that I wanted before I get this message uh, that I think is kind of a, a thought that might help some people. You know, uh, in Psalm 23, there's this beautiful picture that says, uh, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. And that table uh, is just... Oh, a powerful picture of the Father's heart and a powerful picture of how he invites people to commune with him and fellowship with him. Uh, one of the most powerful uh, experiences that I've had in my life about 18 years ago was at a table where the Lord revealed himself to me uh, as a father and spoke to me about my place at his table and it was just really a life-changing experience for me you know I, I, I put it up there like I had a salvation experience that was life-changing I had a baptism in the Holy Ghost that was life-changing and I had that experience that was life-changing all of them really uh, redirected my life but you know time and disappointment and and troubles cares of this life have a tendency to, to cause your heart to get calloused, right? And you tend to kind of lose the energy. It's like in a marriage, you, you, you know, you can't have this, you know, honeymoon phase in your marriage forever. You got to live life and, you know, I had to get over Becky at some point enough to go ahead and do what I was supposed to do with my life. I couldn't, I mean, I was failing out of school and everything. It was her fault, I was so infatuated with her, and, you know, and just was willing to forsake everything for her, uh, which, you know, I think is an amazing thing, but, you know, at some point I had to get with the program, right? It's not that I'm still not infatuated with her, it's just, you know. But I think that experience, and recently the Lord has been bringing me back to a place of that, I guess you could call it that first love thing, uh, would be a way of saying it, a biblical way of saying it. But me, it's the table thing. The table just speaks to my heart so powerfully because it was at a table, a literal table, where the Lord took me into his presence in a, in a magnificent way. But So I wanted to say all that for you who feel like you're on the outside looking in and not feeling like that you belong. If you have that feeling on you, or that thought that works on you, I can assure you that the the Holy Spirit wants to help you with that and make it real to you that you do belong. 
and that you are peculiar. You know, the Bible says, uh, he who touches, touches you touches the apple of his eye. And that word apple means, literally, it means pupil. It's like, that's how God feels about his children. If you touch him, you're like putting your finger in God's eye. The Lord wants to make that real to people. I thought that was beautiful this morning, what Corey shared about if you don't know the love of God. And, but it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal that. Everything I'm saying to you is just words apart from the Holy Spirit. But they're words of truth. And so the Lord is inviting his people to his table again uh, and to have a fresh experience in that. But I wanted to say this, and this is something I didn't really understand. It says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That there's a... a, a enemy that's present all the time. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. Our airwaves are full of this enemy. Uh, it, it's, they're full of it. And speaking lies and speaking things on a personal level and then obviously on a national, international level. The, if you watch the news, you can be assured that you're listening to lies, honestly. If you listen to our leaders, I hate to say this, they're not telling us the truth. Now, that's, that's big, that's huge. We all need to deal with ourselves, but I do feel like that God wants us to overcome that. Whether it's a personal thing or, or what's going on in the world, by allowing ourselves to go sit at that table, but that does not eliminate the presence of the enemy. Do you hear what I'm telling you? This is not, we're not in utopia yet. There is a utopia coming, but the only way that utopia is going to come, this is how that utopia is going to come. The Bible's really clear on it. It shows us how it's going to come. The Father has some scrolls in his hand, and when Jesus Christ takes those scrolls from his hands, that's the beginning of utopia, although it's a very difficult beginning. It's a rough beginning. I don't personally don't believe those scrolls have been that Christ has taken those scrolls yet. That's my personal belief. But uh, I just wanted to take a moment to pray for you, or if you feel in your life that you need a refreshment to know that you're at the table, that you want to experience that table, and not to allow all this going on in the world, all this going on in your little world and your mind to. To steal, to rob from you what you can have at that table. You hear what I'm telling you? So if you want that, if you feel that, if any of this is ringing true, let's just, would you just stand up? This is my altar call. I'm doing it at the beginning. I'm doing it at the beginning. This is my altar call. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption. He's a spirit of belonging. That's how I know him. As a, a spirit of belonging to make you know that you belong. That's what he does. He works on our hearts. He pours out the love of God into our hearts to make us know that we belong, to make us know we can sit at that table with the Lord. And, and the thing that the Lord showed me that was so powerful, these are just words now, but at that moment it was so powerful. He said, this seat at my table belongs to you and no one can sit at your place. And he says that to every one of his family. So, the Lord, we just ask you this morning, we just ask you, Father, to help us, Lord, the enemy, the prince of the power of the air is just 
Yeah. Just help us, Lord. Help us to remember. Lord, help us to act on our beliefs, not on ones. Help us to act on what we know to be true, not what we're hearing, not what we're thinking, all the, the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry that's, that's in the world. Lord, we just ask you today to deliver us from evil. Deliver us and lead us not into temptation. And help us to see that we are at the table of the Lord, that we have a place with you, and that you love for your family to sit down with you. Lord, we're asking you to make that real. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, come down on your people right now. Come in, come down, come through, however this works, and begin to do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. And I know the Lord, you know, we, we all are hunger for rest. Our souls are hunger for rest. But this is what the Lord says. He's looking for a rest in place. He's looking for a rest in place in us. And so, Father, we're asking you right now, and your people, we want to be that resting place. Lord, we, we, that, we believe ultimately that's the ultimate rest is when you're at rest in us, when that dove can sit on us and not be disturbed. And so, Father, just, we just ask you today, help us, Lord, help us. Help our nation, the world, the nations of the world, Lord, help. We don't have answers, but we do have the, the answer. And there's only one answer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for him. We thank you for the spirit of the Lord. We thank you for God the Father who truly is a father and truly loves us. We thank you there's a trinity that's at work in the world, that's at work in the earth. And we believe, Lord, uh, like that song says, that no matter you're always at work, whether I see it or not. I don't remember exactly how that song. You're always working. Yeah. Say that. You're always working, even whether I see it or not. You're at work. And I refuse to believe anything else, Lord. When I hear distressing news, when I hear scary news, when I'm broken and fallen myself, I'm going to declare the Lord's at work. He's always working. He's never stopped. And you're not going to stop now. You're going to finish what you started, Lord. You're going to finish it in me. You're going to finish it in your people, Lord. And I just thank you for that today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Lord, we want to enjoy being at the table with you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Well, that wasn't my message, but I kind of liked it. Yeah, I kind of like that. I was going to, we had a Friday night. I was going to share it Friday night, but uh, someone got up and gave a testimony uh, that was so good. I thought, you gave that testimony. I thought you, oh, it was Linda Jones gave that testimony. Yeah, she was on the floor crying out. But Linda Jones gave an amazing testimony of, of how God, you know, she went through her, some of the health problems she had, and uh, one of them was her teeth, and she had to, you know, have oral surgery, all this money that it takes, and she shared how she got the last bill from the, from the doctor and took a check to the, and paid it off. Isn't that powerful? And when she said that, I thought, I ain't saying nothing. There's nothing. And she's hit. That's the ceiling there, man. I thought, that's the ceiling. Thank you for sharing that. That really ministered to my heart the other night, big time. And if you have a, a financial need in your 
in your uh, life. At the end of the service, Linda, will you come up here? Linda, stand up. Okay, Linda lives on, you know, Social Security. So, you know, getting your mouth operated on is mega bucks, right? But the Lord took care of her. So I would like you at the end of the service to come up here and stand. And for anybody who needs a financial breakthrough, she can lay hands on you and release what has been given to her, which is a blessing. I just love that. Don't you love the Lord? Okay, I'm going to read this verse in the Bible. Thank you, Lord. It's Revelations 1.8. It says, I'm the Alpha and the Maker, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is, is to come, the Almighty. And so um, that I wanted to say to you is the first in, in the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the book of Revelation this morning. You know, I've gone through those seven churches, and, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about a little bit more. Oh, I have just gotten so much out of that book, y'all. I'm just crazy because I have never gotten anything out of that book. I've always read it from a what I call a surface reading of it because it's a frightening book. You know, it really is. It's full of frightening things. So I don't like, mm, mm, I don't understand that. Mm, mm, mm. And I think I've told you before, I grew up around a lot of people who were so into it and talked about it all the time and talked about end times and this and that, but their life did not line up on a daily basis as being true believers. And it just frustrated me. Because I thought, I don't want anything to do with Christianity if that's the way it is. Which was a dumb thought, but you know, I wasn't very bright in those days. Okay, well anyways, this, well, this word, I'm the Alpha and Omega, that, listen y'all, this is powerful. It is the most mentioned description that God himself gave himself in the book of Revelation. He says it four times in the book of Revelation. Two times right here in chapter 1 and two times towards the end after everything's said and done. Now that should tell you something. That should tell, you, tell us that God wants the, it, the, for us to know that He's the beginning and the end. He is the Almighty. That He, there's fixing to be some stuff that's going to happen Okay, that's traumatic and sorrowful and not understandable. What he wanted everybody to know right up front before he began to reveal the future plans for the world and how he was going to fix everything. Do y'all hear me? That's what this book tells me. God is declaring, I'm going to fix everything. I have a plan to fix the earth. I started this thing, and I'm going to finish it. In other words, if you put it into today's language, he would say, don't worry, I got this. And I think the world needs to hear that today. God has got everything that's happening in our world today. Everything. And he wants the people of God to begin to know him as the Alpha and the Omega, as the beginning and the end, the Almighty. We've got to get back to we, know, we have a God that we know is the king. He's powerful. And no matter what the kings of the earth and the people of the earth do, no matter what happens in the earth, God is still the king. And God still has a plan and God's still working. And we've got to believe that. We've got to know that. And we've got to grab hold of that. And there's never been a time in my life where I feel like we've, this is the time to grab hold of a revelation of the Almighty, a revelation of the Alpha and the Omega. 
We got to be able to be people that are not, not over, overcome with fear, the sorrow, and the panic that's in this world. Because it's not going to get better, y'all, anytime soon. It's not going to be better. I hate to say it. It's, it's just going to grow worse and worse. That sounds like an encouraging thing. Yes, sir. We really need to know the Lord as the Alpha Omega in these days. We really do. And that's, that's how he began, began. It was the first red letter verse in the book of Revelation. Uh, so he also says, uh, who is and who was and who is to come. That's a very interesting statement. Who is, who was, and who is to come. Most of us would not say it like that. Most of us would, because what he's saying is, who is is present, right? Who was is past, who is is future. We would say past, present, future. He said that, uh, you know, on purpose, that he wanted to begin to reveal himself the God who is, as the, one, the first way that the Holy Spirit wants us to know the Lord, the Lord who is. Are y'all following this? Not the, not the Lord who was and not even the, the Lord who is to come because we have to know God in the present. If we're going to know Him in the future, we have to know Him. We get to beginning to know Him now. How is God revealing Himself to us today? How are we living our life today is, is really... See, the Bible is really unique in terms of a history book because the Bible, not, it gives us the past, but it also tells us about the future. There's not any other history book in the world that tells you about the past and then tells you what's going to happen in the future. It tells us both, but you see, if, if we get fixated on the past or the future, our presence is not going to be good. Because it tells us about the past and it tells us about the future so we can begin to live in the present. Are y'all following this? I mean, so this is a, an amazing thing, I think. So I wanted to tell you this little story. Uh, uh, I'm going to read this verse from Psalm 90. This is a, a thing about me and about the present. See, I love being around people who are in the moment. What I mean by that, when you're talking to them, they're engaged talking to you. Their brain is not over there. Their brain ain't back there. And you can tell when people are like that. There's certain people in this room that I absolutely adore for one reason. They're in the present when I talk to them. I'm probably not one of those people, I hate to say, because my brain is flying 90 miles an hour in different ways. And so I had to always constantly try to be intentional to be focused. But I just love it when I'm talking to somebody I know, they're in the present. They're in the moment. They're not thinking about dinner. They ain't thinking about what their husband said to them badly last night. They're, they're, they're right here in the moment. Well, there's certain people in this room, I'm not going to mention their names, because, but it really makes them just love them to death. You know, I don't know what it does to me, but I think it, that's what the Lord wants us to be in the present with Him. But Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. It says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, years ago I was out walking and the, and the Lord spoke that to me. And this is what he told me. He said to me, Byron, if you don't learn how to number your, if you don't learn how to count each day and live in the present in each day, your days will just seem like numbers to you. In other words, your life is just going to go by you and you're going to turn around and look one day and wonder, where did my life go? Because you're not living in the present. You're living somewhere else. 
and you're missing what I have for you right now. Not only are you missing what I have, you know, in terms of the natural, you're missing who I am for you now. You're missing the relationship that I want with you right now. It really is. You know, I could say something along these lines. Well, I've been married for 40-something years. Well, something. I don't remember. A long time. I could say something like, oh, I would just wish my marriage was like it was at the beginning. Right? You know, when I had an 18-year-old wife, yeah, instead of one that's older and wiser and won't put up with all the bad stuff. But I'm not living there anymore because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't, I don't have an 18-year-old wife no more. You know, and all the stuff I was able to get away with with her in our first few years of marriage, I don't get away with no more. I don't even do it no more. In fact, I wouldn't even be married if I kept doing it because she would kill me. I wouldn't even be here. So we had to make a conscious decision to live in the present. And if we will make that decision, God will give us wisdom for today. That's what that verse says. If we'll make a conscious decision to live in the now, the present that God has for you, he'll give you wisdom for the life that you have to live right now. And I think that's really such a key uh, thing. It really became a key thing for me in my life where I began to cherish things. Listen, one of the things I began to cherish is people. People that brought God brought into my life and realize God brings people into my life for a purpose. He brings no one into my life without a purpose. They're all brought in for a purpose. So not dismissing people or not paying attention to people. It made me love people more. It made me care more about people because I realized they were going to bring something to me. Some of them brought pain to me. And I mean hard pain. And, and the reason is I needed that pain. I needed something broke off of me. And God knew that they were like sculptures that were going to come knock some stuff off of me. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? So there's one man's countenance sharpens another. And sometimes that's the way it is. Instead of despising those people seeing, and seeing that God actually sent those people to serve me, to make me a better version of me. And that's what living in the present does. That's just one of the things. Are y'all with me this morning? If you want your life to be meaningful, the only place that it's going to happen is in the present. Today it can be meaningful, not tomorrow. If it can't be meaningful today, it will never be meaningful. You have to find God in the present. That's why he says, the God who is. I, I am. Right here now. That's what he's saying. You find me now. Find how I'm revealing myself to you right now today. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't be drugged down by yesterday. Here's what one person said. I don't know. He says, if you worry about what might be and wonder what might have been, you will ignore what is. And I think a lot of us are ignoring what is because we're so fretful about what's happening in the world or what God didn't do or why God didn't do it or, why you know, trying to figure all this stuff out. Are y'all with me this morning? And see, that one verse is packed with revelation. It's just packed, and that's why God wants us to know him, the God who is. 
Because it does tell us some good stuff about the God who was in the Bible. And we all have a history with God if we've walked with God in, for an hour or two at least. <laughs> right? Your history may be two hours old, but it's a history. But also it tells, the Bible tells us a, a lot of beautiful things about the future. The future that God has, a beautiful future. God does have a utopia for humanity. It's called the kingdom of heaven coming onto the earth fully. He has that. But it has to come about in his way. So one of the questions that you, you got to do is you got to ask the Lord, how are you revealing yourself to me today? That's a good question. And sometimes my answer is, I have no clue. I have no clue how you're revealing yourself to me, Lord. I don't even know how. I can't figure this out. And that's when he says the Holy Spirit can show you. That's when he says you need to just surrender your heart, surrender your mind, and you'll see how I'm revealing you. But you'll begin to see things you you haven't seen before. Because God is revealing himself. God is showing himself to people all the time. And we don't see it many times. Many times it comes through other people. Many times it comes through events in the world. You know, God allows some of these events to happen. They expose things in us, right? They expose that we have a root of fear in us or a root of anxiety. And so he, he allows those things to come into our life just so we can see, not to condemn us, but to free us. God wants a free people. God wants a people that can walk above what's happening in the world because we're the answer for the world. We're the ones going to carry the light that he's put in us out there. So one of the things I've done... Uh, you know, sometimes I don't know how to pray. Like none of us do. Well, one one thing you can do is pray in tongues. That's an automatic for me because I don't hardly ever know how to pray. I'll be honest with you. But occasionally I will say, "Well, Lord, what are you praying for me right now? What are you praying?" And God, and and I'll tell you, when you sincerely ask Him that and pay attention, He will reveal it to you. He will show you exactly how He's how He's praying. Because Jesus, the Bible says Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He is up on the throne of heaven. We're all over him right now. We're all in his heart. We're all in his mind. And so we can ask him, how are you praying for me? Or how are you praying about this situation that's going on over in Ukraine, Lord? He wants us to agree with him in prayer. He wants us to pray along with him. And so I have found him to be a father that's willing to share information with me. That's what happens at the table. You know, at the dinner table, you talk. And he says, hey, you know, you were asking me earlier about Ukraine. Well, here's how you can pray. You know, God, God knows stuff, y'all. He does. I think one of the things that I am feeling and seeing you know, I'm into worship big time. And the more I read Revelation, the more I'm into worship because Revelation is a book of worship. You know, one of the most explosive worship services that happened in the Bible is when Jesus Christ took those seals out of the Father's hands. It literally explodes in worship. Heaven explodes in worship because heaven knew finally God is going to do something about this mess. God is going to answer it. And you know who they were? They were worshiping the Lamb. They were exalting the the cross. They were lifting up the blood of Jesus. They were lifting all that up. I'm telling you, that's where the church is going. 
the church is going, I'll tell you this, if I can tell you anything else, the church is going back to a, maybe not back, I don't know. We're going to a place where the cross is exalted, where we worship Christ, where we exalt Him. That is going, I've noticed a lot of these worship songs that tend to be Tim-like and Tim tend to focus on Christ have so much life on them, for me at least. That's what I want to sing. I don't want to sing about me. I don't want to sing about my problems. I want to sing about Him. I want to declare Him because that's what you find happening in heaven. And so I think there's a shift that's going to happen. I'm probably stepping out of line here, but I think there's a shift that's going to happen. There's going to shift where Christ will be exalted in the church. Men, women will not be exalted. Worship leaders will not be exalted. Preachers will not be exalted. Christ will be exalted. And when that day happens, the world will be shook. Because that's when the glory of God's going to get released on His people. And I think that's where we're headed. That's where I'm going in my heart. Because God has just tore me down to show me how inadequate I am apart from Him. That my union with Christ is everything. And apart from that, I am like a branch that's dead. That needs to be kindling. Well, we ain't going to be kindling, are we? Well, we might be Holy Ghost kindling. But Holy Ghost burns green branches full of life. And they don't burn up, right? The burning bush. We're going to be burning bushes, y'all. That's what we're going to be, burning bushes like Moses saw. I believe that. Well, praise the Lord. That was kind of my introduction. I'm, you know, I'm really hating the rest of this. So, I'm not sure if I should do this or not. I'll start. I'm shifting gears. So, you know, I can't finish this. I told y'all the reason I got into the book of Revelation. Y'all remember? You might not remember, but this is why I got in it. Because I was troubled. I was troubled, y'all. I found myself in a place where I did not feel like I had good answers. For me, for Becky, for my grandchildren, much less the church. I felt broken. I don't have the answer, Lord, because nothing works no more. What worked? Before the pandemic, it doesn't work anymore. And the church is broken. It's a broken place. We're broken. Because we're trying to have answers for a world that we don't live in anymore. We're living in a new world. We're living in a different world. That's how I got into this whole, I just had this amazing thought one day from heaven. Well, maybe you should read about the churches in Revelation. Because Jesus was talking to them and he was giving them advice. Maybe there's some advice from Jesus here that the world needs that I need. And that's why I did it. I wasn't trying to talk, do messages. I was looking for answers. I needed answers. You needed answers. That's it. We need your answers for today, God. Our answers for yesterday, as wonderful as they were, suddenly don't seem to fit no more. Because the world has changed. And I'll tell you this. Right now, with what's going on in the world, it's going to change again. This, the world we live in is not going to be the same. The pandemic has changed it. And now this situation with Ukraine is going to change it. 
And my God, one thing we can pray is pray that somehow no nuclear weapon will be ignited. Because if that happens, I don't know what will happen to the world. I mean, obviously, if they blew a bunch of them up, everybody would die, right? But I don't think that's going to happen. But just one thermonuclear, even a, they have tactical thermo weapons that, you know, just mess up a square mile. If one of them went off, the world would crash. I mean, crash beyond measure. I don't believe in war. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe in what's happening. I, don't, I think there's a better way. You know, I don't think God believed in war, although he calls him the, the God of hosts, which is the God of the heavenly armies. But I think he did it because he had to, because humanity believes in war. That's why God has done many of the things he did. He had to do it because humanity is, is warlike. You know, they, we want to kill each other and make each other submit. You know, so I don't believe in any of that, but that's what's happening. I believe in a God who wants to heal people and love people and fix people and fix the nations. That's the God I know. That's the Jesus Christ. That's the Father. That's the Holy Ghost. But we live in this world. Am I just making a mess of this, y'all? So, so I, you know, everybody said this. I said it. I can remember going to leaders' meetings here in the church, talking when the, all this was coming out with the pandemic, and going home and saying, Becky, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't have the answers for this. And she just listened to me. She didn't say anything. You know, it's like God was saying, yes, you did. You signed up for it, son. Whether you think you did or not, you signed up. You know, that's what the Lord told Esther. You know, who knows? What was that famous scripture? Somebody tell me it. Such a time as it. You know, well, here's the way the Lord would say it to me. I'm a little southern, okay? Look here, son, you did whether you know it or not. Get with it. I wanted to quit like everybody else wanted to quit. There was a spirit of quitting that came in the earth. People quit their jobs and like, wow, people are quitting their jobs. Why? You know, I think in some ways people were t saying something like, I'm tired of working 60, 70 hours a week. I'm tired of being abused. And it was like a rising up. But, you know, a lot of those people who quit, this is terrible, y'all, went back to work and are making less money. And they're probably going to have to work just as hard because mankind does not have the answer, y'all. Man, listen, humanity doesn't have the answer. That's what the book of Revelation teaches. It teaches us that humans will never fix this mess. There's only one way to fix it. It's him. Well, okay. Can I read this to you just so I can calm down? This is my Tony Baker paragraph. I'm going to send it to Tony. He puts it on the website. Pandemics, war, cyber war, economic shaking, threat of nuclear war, the rise of socialism, what seems to be an attack on the church and the dismantling of American culture are some of the challenges church leaders and believers face today. That's what we're facing. Did you hear that? A society in panic can easily be led or misled. Isn't that a truth? A society in panic... And we've had more panic than I've ever seen in my life in the last two or three years. And now it's starting to, oh, thank God the, the, the pandemic's over. We can take the mask off and we don't have to 
have a thing to go in a restaurant in some places, went to a basketball game and didn't have to wear a mask in Durham of all places. Sorry about that last night, (laughs) y'all. I just had to say that because they made comments to me last time. I've already let Joe Sheasley have it in a nice way, you know. That's Duke and Carolina, you know. Anyways, all that's ever like, yeah, well, none of this matters anyway. What I, Lord, all that, I'm good. We're going back to normal. No, now we got something worse. We got a war. A war. People are dying. It's a mess. It's way worse. Way worse. Way worse. It's just another thing. Another wave. So a society in panic can be led or misled. This is an opportunity for the church to lead culture to understand that God is the Alpha and Omega. He is the King. He has a plan, and He has a wisdom for what we're facing today. That's what we, this is an opportunity for us, y'all. But I'll tell you something, we, we have to learn how to live in this world, and we've got to do some things different than we've been doing. So, the questions that we must wrestle with what what is the Lord's heart in all of this? We, that's something we should be asking the Lord. What's what's your heart in all this going on in the earth today? I need to I need to understand your heart about it, Lord. Because I promise you this: if you're listening to the media in America, you are not hearing God's heart. Period. There is a lot of deception and lies that are being given to us. Both. Yeah. Hey, I'm talking. Let's just name them. Fox News, CNN, they're all the same. Kick them all to the curb. That's what I would do because they all are lying to you. They're not telling you the truth. They're not telling you the truth. There's truth. And that's where we need to be asking the Lord what his heart is in all this. We need to be discovering the heart of God in the world we live in today. We don't, let, we don't need to allow. I'm not going to finish this because it's 10 minutes till. We're not, we don't need to allow the media to tell us what narrative to, to believe. We really don't because if you do, you're going to be full of fear. You're going to be full of panic. You're going to be depressed. That's what's going to happen. Angry? Yeah, you're going to be angry. Yeah. But if we'll begin to tap into the heart of the Lord, we can begin to discover how he's looking at things and how we can look at things and how we can pray and how we can respond in a, in, a, in a righteous way. And I, and I think the pandemic kind of exposed that we don't respond well when we're put under pressures that we've never experienced before. But if we're learning, we will respond better as we go forward. We have to. We have to. How does the Lord want the church and us personally to respond? That's what I've been asking. How, do, how am I supposed to respond now, Lord? What am I supposed to do? Because... I'm not going to respond politically. I'm not a left-wing guy, and I'm not a right-wing guy. I'm not a globalist. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. And that dictates to me what I think first, and that's going to dictate to me how I'm going to act and how I'm going to respond. I am not going to let what the world's doing get into my heart and get into my mind and respond that way. And I must confess to you that I have allowed it at times. Bet you have too, right? If you're lying, <laughs> it's hard not to. That's exactly right. But these are things we need to face. 
Well, I'll just keep going until the time to stop here. So, I, like I said, I came up with a few what I call leadership, my new leadership uh, thoughts that I'm going to try to use to help me be a better leader for myself first. Then for me and Becky, when I think about my grandchildren, how I want to influence them, because they're going to be here a lot longer than they more than likely. Hopefully they will. My children, grandchildren, I want them to way outlive my height. And then for us as a, as a body, as a believers, as a church, I want to, that's, that's what I'm going after is finding a new grid. And the first one is, is this. And so i got to kind of gather these from studying the first three chapters of Revelation. Number one, the world needs a humble church. And the two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that Jesus had nothing to say anything bad about, were very humble churches, very broken churches. They weren't big. They were little. They were persecuted. They weren't popular. They weren't cutting edge. They weren't cool. They weren't creative. But Jesus loved them and had nothing but good things to say about them. Nothing. They were humble. They were broken people. And that's what the world needs. The world does not need a version of Christianity that kind of looks like the world. It needs a Christianity that's coming from the heart of the Lord and that's expressing his heart. Now, I'm all good for creativity and cool. And all. I mean, I love all that stuff. But that ain't what church really is. It's something greater than that. It's having the heart of God operating and re releasing that heart to other people. And that takes brokenness. That takes a lot of brokenness, y'all. And the, the second one is the church needs humble leadership. Leadership that flows from men and women. I do believe in women leaders. I'm sorry, y'all, if y'all don't believe that. It's too bad. It's in the Bible. Men and women who have intimacy with Christ. Men and women who are following him well. That's the kind of leaders we need. We need those men and women who are intimate, not just charismatic individuals. I just feel this. I want to say this. And this, I'm not, I don't want to be putting down. I'm not putting down anyway. But this business of celebrity pastors... That has to go, y'all. Celebrity worship, all that has to go. No pastor should have a special parking place. Honestly, I really hear how I feel. Unless they are disabled or something. Let the old people have the special space. I'm serious, y'all. It's just a sign. I mean, I know that don't mean anything. But to me, it's telling on us. It's saying something. That they're the most important person. And they're not the most important person. And if we're going to have special parking, let's do it for the old people who are, can't get around well. Give them the spots. And if the pastor happens to be old and can't get around well, give him a spot. Not because he's the pastor, but because he can't get around well. <laughs> that's what I really believe. With all my heart. I think, and that's, a, that's just nothing, right? That's ridiculous. But it's just a sign that we've exalted people too much. And listen, that, I, don't, I love amazing pastors. I love amazing preachers. I love them to death. I want them. I want them to be a part of what we're doing. But I don't want them to be the center. I don't want us to exalt people. I want us to exalt the Lord. And the same thing with the worship culture. I love the worship culture. I think they have brought some amazing stuff to the church. But I think when we begin to put them on a platform, we've made a big mistake. 
you know, because really what makes worship special is not the songs, it's not the singer, it's the presence of the Lord. Because so, you can take the presence of the Lord off the best singer in the world. It's like, well, that's a great singer, but yeah, you know. You know, I hope you all understand my heart on that. Let me read this next one. Hey, I might try to finish this. Rugged individualism may be an American trait, right? But it is not a value of the kingdom. You don't find yourself disconnected from everything and everyone. Let me say that. You will not find yourself disconnected from everything and everyone. And we've seen that, and we're seeing it more and more. Jesus, in terms of the seven churches, addressed church communities. He addressed addressed congregations. The only time he mentioned people's name, one was to commend those persons for dying for him as martyrs. That was one time he mentioned somebody. A couple of times he mentioned martyrs by name. You want to be a martyr? <laughs> the other time he mentioned them was to threaten them. He threatened them. That's the only time he pointed out people. You're either a martyr or you're so bad, I'm going to have to call you out by name. This is, this is really, I think, a really key one. The foundation of the kingdom of God is family. The Lord's Prayer, listen to this, our, us, and we appear nine times in five verses. That's the Lord's Prayer, our, us, and we. Our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us. Deliver us. It doesn't say a word about deliver me. It doesn't say about a word about give me my daily bread. It says deliver us. It's community. That's what Jesus was trying to bring in that prayer, to show us that we're part of a family. That we will not prosper. We will not be who we're called to be apart from that family. The Apostle Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Not I have the mind or Tony has the mind or Tim has. We together come together and release the mind of Jesus. That is the only way the mind of Christ will ever be revealed on this earth. It's through a corporate group of people. I think that's pretty cool. The importance of true fellowship meaning koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. Some of you know it. Uh, Koinonia means fellowship. It means communion or community. The the importance of true fellowship koinonia is that it helps us focus on Christ and his desires and goals for us. That's what koinonia does. That's what fellowship does. It helps us to center ourselves on Christ and see what he has for us and what his goals and desires are for us. I can testify that is 100% truth in my life. It's in the context of community and fellowship that God has shaped my heart many times. Many times. And the times that I wasn't doing well with the Lord, guess what I was doing? Withdrawing myself. Iron sharpens iron. People speaking into my life. People encouraging me. People speak, saying stuff. But it don't happen when you hide yourself. It don't happen when you disconnect yourself. I'm just telling you the truth, y'all. I'm just telling you. True fellowship sharpens our faith. I'm reading this because I wrote it down. I just tried to, instead of trying to, I'm not trying to preach it, but it stirs us up to exercise the faith, faith in love and good works. That's what it does. It stirs us up. Let me read this verse. Acts 2.42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship. 
koinonia. They devoted themselves to that, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That was the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of the church, y'all. You can't be disconnected. If you're disconnected, you're not living what God asked us to live. And you will never be everything that God called you to be. And you'll never do everything that God called you to do. You will not. You will always come up short. You will fail. You will fail. Churches will fail if koinonia is not a part of it. If communion with each other is not a part of it. Am I, am I being too anxious? And I believe koinonia will be more critical in the days ahead. I guarantee you right now it's what's keeping a lot of those believers over in, in Ukraine together. It's koinonia. It ain't, the, it ain't the latest worship song or the latest message from the preacher. It's each other and finding God together and figuring out what to do together. And I believe there's a day coming we all might have to find ourselves in that. So it's just better to go ahead and do it now when somebody's not pointing a gun at your head. That's just my thought there. So I want us to really ask the Lord because koinonia is a gift. It ain't something you, you can produce. It's a gift because you can hang out with people all day long and not have true community. But you can ask the Lord for it, and he'll give it to you. Yeah. Man, I got three more minutes. I wanted to tell you this one. I actually only have seven of these, but I'll just stop at this one just in case. Y'all are going to love this. And this is a great place to stop at, actually. Cornelia would have been nice. This would be worse. Listen to this. What we thought was normal might be abnormal. What we thought was normal... The life that we've lived for the last 25, 30 years we thought was normal may not be normal at all. What we've lived is normal, a stable, a basically stable existence where most everything works are uncommon, listen to me, uncommon in the big picture of human history. You study history. I actually had a conversation with Matthew Boland who's a history major who knows history very well. Before I said this, I want to make sure because I wasn't so great in history. That was another one of those classes I slept through. <laughs> history shows us that most times that people live in are tumultuous. Tumultuous. We may have been living in something. We keep talking about going back to the norm. Well, the norm may be that what we've, what we've been living in is our future. That may really be the norm. I don't want it to be. I wish you, and I'm not prophesying it to be. I'm just saying we need to step back and look at what we think is normal may not be normal at all. And there's people in the world and other nations who've lived this abnormal thing. They've lived in times of disruption. They've lived where they couldn't get toilet paper. We thought toilet paper was bad. You hear what I'm saying to you? I hope you know, this, this is a great. I better not end on this, can I? <laughs> Y'all be so mad at me. None of the seven churches lived in what we would call a normal culture. None of them. They did not live in normal times. Things were not easy for them. Things were difficult. The world was difficult around them. They were challenged. They didn't have things. There was disruptions in their life. I believe there's a future coming when we will see like disruptions with the internet where it will just not be available. I believe there'll be times when the power grid's not available. I believe all of that's coming our way. I don't want it to. I'm the last person. I like comfort. I don't want nothing to be disrupted. 
I don't want to have to save up food. I don't want to have to do all that stuff. I hate that stuff. I like my leisure time. I want to play golf and have fun. You know, that's what I like. But we may be coming to time when, when disruptions are a normal part of our life. And one of the, and I, this is what I believe, y'all. I believe one of the primary skills of the future church leaders is going to be able to lead during disruption. Do you hear me? We need to lead during disruption. And we didn't do it well during the pandemic. We didn't, businessmen, you're going to have to learn how to lead during disruption. You're going to have to find out how to be successful when there's disruption. When things in culture is not working. I think we had to sort of adjust ourselves to that. And realize, well, we didn't do it well, but that maybe God's going to give us another chance to do it well. I know y'all ain't loving this. Y'all are looking at me with frowns on your face. And I don't, I'm the last, like I say, I didn't want to learn how to be a leader in disruption. I didn't want to be a leader. I wanted to quit like everybody else. I just wanted to quit. You know, I'm not doing this. I want to lead when it's nice. I don't want to lead where there's political polarization and fussing about masks and whether you should meet or, you know, separate chairs. And all. I mean, I don't want to do that, Lord. That ain't what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, yeah, it is too. You can't quit. What you going to do? Ain't nobody going to hire you to do anything else. Because I was thinking, well, heck, all these people quitting jobs, I might find one. And then, then somebody else can worry about it. Well, Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And then he lists 24, 23 or 24 attributes. Read it. I'm not going to read all that, but of what, it, what these perilous times will look like. Men's heart failing with fear, of people being mean to each other, hating their mom and daddy. I mean, just read it. it, just, it it's like, oh, wow, we're here. <sighs> I'm going to hurry up. Y'all want to finish or not? Say yes or no. I'll hurry, okay? All seven churches were living under oppressive Roman rule. This is number five. All were living under oppressive Roman rule. We are not as free as we think we were. Americans, United States of American citizens, you are not free like you thought you were. You thought you were free, but you're not free. You thought you had a governor out there that cared about you. They don't. They have another agenda. And you're not their agenda. In fact, you're in their way. And if you're a believer, you're definitely in their way. Now, that's the truth. You're not one of the one billion people they want left living on the earth when everything's said and done. You're one of the first to go. As we begin to understand this and not allow ourselves to be consumed with worry, fear, and anxiety, we will see the opportunity to bring heaven into our lives and circumstances around us. More than ever, we will need to be supernatural people. Now, that's really our future, is we need to become supernatural people. We need to be people to operate out of the supernatural and not out of this world. Where we're pulling information out of the supernatural realm. And where we're bringing answers out of the supernatural realm. We're bringing provision out of the supernatural realm. We're bringing wisdom out of the supernatural realm. We have to become those people. No longer being supernatural is something you do in church, praying for people or having a jolly service. I love all that. But it's got to go beyond that. It's got to go into our everyday lives because we're going to need it. Businessmen are going to need supernatural thinking. They're going to need to know supernatural decisions to be able to make sure their business goes through difficulties. We need to become supernatural, y'all. And if you don't like supernatural, you're in trouble because there's a supernatural and there's a natural. You can decide which way you want to go. 
but you you can't go, you won't be able to do both. Uh, can I say this about, I got two more, I'll hurry. Are y'all all right? Re, and this is regarding politics, okay? Because I think this is important for us to get this. God created us for bigger things. So part of the interest that we see around political issues is our culture and the culture of the world really desiring something more significant to live for. God has created a hole in people's hearts. Men and women have something they need to live for. Okay? And so there's something motivating people about the politics. Will we take advantage of this and advance the kingdom of God or continue to allow politics to polarize us? Do y'all hear me? Did y'all get this? God put a hole in our hearts to live for something bigger. Humanity sees politics as something bigger. And they're going after politics because it's a God thing deep down inside. They're just not doing it well. We have the kingdom. We bring the kingdom into the, into the equation of politics. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. We can either do that or stay divided over it. Stay mad at people on the left. I stay mad at people on the left. I stay mad at people on the right. I stay mad at people in the middle. I got, I got issues of all of them. You know, they're all making me mad. I don't believe any of them. But see, we can't allow, just because we see things different, it, we can't allow it to divide us anymore. And I'm telling you, during that pandemic, it was the worst thing I ever seen in my life. It was terrible. It was a, it was a blemish on the body of Christ. But I think God wanted us to see it. Does that make sense? I think this is really important. All right, I'm going to stop on this one. For the church, the golden age is forward. It's not backwards. It's not the way it used to be. As much, listen to this, y'all. I want to say this. I want to make it real quick. As much as our love, our nation's historical foundation, that is not America at its best. Did y'all hear me? I love our historical foundations. I'm a, I'm a patriot. I really am. I love our country. I'm, I have patriotism. I just love this nation. I love it to death. I'm glad I was born here. When I go to another nation, I love that nation, but I'm always glad to get home. Like, oh, this is home for me. I love this place. But I'll tell you something, y'all. Our foundation as a nation is a good foundation overall. It's got some bad in it. But I don't think that's our America at its best. It is not America. Yesterday is not our country's best. God's got something better for his country. Does that make sense? Let's go ahead and finish it right and I'll stop. As much as I love past revivals, outpourings, that's not the church at its best. Hey, you know even John Arnott? Do y'all know John Arnott? I heard this out of John Arnott's lips. I was standing as far from him as Tim and Paul. He was talking to somebody else. I was eavesdropping. That was John Arnott. And he was, somebody was asking him about the Toronto blessing. And he said this, Obviously, it wasn't enough. Look at what's happening in, these na- in the nations. It was not enough. And what he was saying is we have to go beyond that. There's something more. The nations need something more. That's John Arnott. And he was like the father of that movement. And I thought, well, okay, I'm with you. And I believe this, the best is in front of us. Listen to this. Jesus promised every church a better future if they would just do as he asked them to do. Every one of those churches. 
everyone in the church, Jesus promised them a better future. The only one that didn't get that promise for here was Smyrna. He didn't promise him a better future on earth. He did promise him a better future in heaven. But all the others, he said, if you'll do these things, I got some good stuff going for you. And so I believe the Lord has a good future for us. I believe he's got an amazing future for us. I believe he has an amazing future for the United States of America. I think there's going to be some pain to get there, though. And I think we need to settle it and learn how to live in today. Learn how to lead in today. Learn how to take care of ourselves. And learn how to take care of each other in the world we're living in. That's my, my word. Yeah. So let's just stand up and ask the Lord to help us. Like I said, I didn't really want to do this. Cause I think, oh, it's all going to change anyway, Lord. I'll have some new thought <laughs> in a week from now. Okay, Lord, we just ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this people in this room and mm, for listening and being patient with me, Lord. And I just pray for every person that they would have a hey, I wanted to Linda come up here. Um, I'm gonna put somebody on the spot. Because I really uh, feel like this is something we also need to pray for people for. Uh, Joyce and Sodge, would y'all come up here? Joyce and Sodge have a thing on them. It's called, it's called ministry and business. As a couple, they really flow well in that. And, uh, you know, I think, would y'all be willing to pray for people? You know, Joyce would be like, I mean, but obviously it's all ministry. I just feel like they have an anointing on them to release to people. And she has an anointing on her if you're a person that needs a financial breakthrough. You hear what I'm saying to you? And if you want that, if you need a financial breakthrough, go over here and let Linda lay hands on you. And if you are a person who just needs some anointing in your life, maybe for business or for your ministry, they have it. And they would be glad to give you what they have if the Lord allows it. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you for the day. And we bless you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Oh, Lord, please help us. And please help us, Lord. We just know so need you, Lord. Lord, without you, we're just broken people. Lord, we're empty people. And, Lord, we're sorry that we've been arrogant. We're sorry that we've been divisive. We're sorry that we haven't added. We're sorry we've added to the problem and not have become people of life and love and light and joy. And we ask you to forgive us. And, Lord, help us to come into a new way of thinking and a new day, Lord, to follow you, to follow Jesus in a humble way, in a real way. And we ask you to use us with power. We ask for the filling of the Holy Ghost. We ask for boldness to come on us like it did in Acts 4. We ask you for your power, Lord. Power to move mountains. Power to break curses. Power to free people. Power to bring answers into this world that desperately need answers. We ask you in Jesus' name. For your glory, Lord. Amen.